General Nerdery. This is General Nerdery, and we are your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. GN is a podcast where we talk about whatever nerdy stuff crosses our minds. Uh, between us, there's very little geeky stuff out there that we don't have some experience in. I would like to think so. Uh, we've dipped our toes into a little bit of everything. I like getting my toes wet. <laughs> my, my toes are all right now, kind of enjoying the cold. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get some fresh air moving through here a little earlier. It was unseasonably warm today, was... which is great but terrifying at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's just been annoying having to play with my the heat levels in my house so much. But yeah. Uh, how's your week, man? It's been pretty good. Uh, nothing too eventful for the... Well, I guess I'm dealing with my uh, tooth stuff. I uh, broke a fake tooth a couple of weeks ago, and I'm in the process of figuring out how to look like I shouldn't be named Cletus. Yeah, yeah, a little Cletus-y. It's little the bald, Cletus-y. the beard, the front tooth missing. I just... I was down by the bayou. Oh, Danny would be so mad at me. <laughs> uh shit yeah i i've been putting in a lot of work on podcast stuff so well you're a scholar and a gentleman because computers confuse and scare me like i was a boomer yeah they had me scared last night (laughs) i i had that thing so i was really hard in a not tetris into minesweeper for a little while yeah and i had to stop playing it because like i'd shut my eyes and i would just see the the numbers oh yeah I was, I was starting to see like the skeleton for our website when I was shutting my <laughs> eyes last night and it wasn't it wasn't a good deal at all but uh, I'm really happy to get past the work part into the fun part. So. Yeah. Uh what is our subject this week there Tyler? Oh man, I think this week since last week we we talked about Marvel. It's probably best if you know we we go to the other side of the street. And well, it's got to be DC then. We're going to talk about DC this week and just as much as we talked about Marvel, we're probably going to break off at a certain point and just be like, yeah, and then <laughs> We've a been talking bunch forever. of storylines happened. <laughs> yeah. But first, the news. Sorry, I've always wanted to say it like that. Yeah, no, that's fine. And especially, we don't have episode bumpers. I mean, I, we don't have segment bumpers yet, so. Oh, man, we're going to be so fancy. I know. I'm, we're getting there, man. That's that's next weekend. That's next weekend. <laughs> All right, I do have... I came with some news. Okay, hit me. So first off, ever since you found out from me that they threw an elongated man in Flash, you've had one question. Sue? They cast Sue. Oh, good. Who are they casting as? Or who are they casting? Probably Uh, not who it is, but... Yeah, sure. Her name is Natalie Dreyfus. Like Richard Dreyfus's kid? Like Richard Dreyfus's niece. Ah, close enough. Uh, I have not ever seen her in anything when I looked at her filmography, but she was in recurring roles in Rita Rocks and Secret Life of the American Teenager. Those are her two biggest things. She's been in a few other I've things. I've heard of those. I've never seen it. I've heard of Secret Life of the American Teenager, had never heard of Rita Rocks, but she was in a lot of Rita Rocks as well. So Nice. Uh, I know Elongated Man kind of drives you nuts in The Flash, but with Sue in there, I'm really looking forward to it. I love Ralph and Sue oh, as he's, characters together. He's great now. Last season, and last season his storyline was great. They just also would use him as the character like... If they needed a character to suddenly lose all of their character progress that they've uh, made over the season to make an episode work. It's time to be the it, plot point character. Yeah, it was him. He had to hold the idiot ball quite a few times <sighs> last season. So, 
uh, after make you know having other episodes where he was growing as a person and you were really rooting for him. And... They did that to poor Kid Flash like every other episode. Yeah, he's used a lot better in the little bit he was in Legends. Oh, right. He came back. Uh, yeah. Um, I hope he comes back more. He was good. I liked him. Uh, filming wrapped on season two of The Boys. Nothing big there. Just yeah. pointing it out. Cool. Uh, didn't <laughs> one of the Marvel ones start filming? Oh, let me see. I might have something here. Probably, but... I want to say it was the Winter Soldier Falcon Oh, yeah, I think that might have went like into production. I know they at least re- have been releasing some uh, character designs. I am excited for The Boys Season 2. Season 1 was pretty enjoyable. You... I've never read the comic, so... It's Garth Ennis. Uh, I enjoy me Garth Ennis, for the most part. I have he's... things to say about Ennis. He's but... really hit and miss for me. I really enjoyed Preacher... Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I know you do. Uh, you were just showing me the knives. Um, Garth Ennis has this quote of uh, calling comic books or superhero comics the questionable medium of superhero comics. And so that automatically sets me that anytime I hear his name, I get like kind of defensive, which is dumb of me. But yeah, I really enjoyed the first season. I will read the comic at some point, but I'm. St- Stupid excited for season two and the way I do know the change they made from the comic and I'm excited to see how that plays out in the TV show. Bring it on. I've heard nothing but good reviews. Make more good comic adaptations. Uh, okay, so more casting from the Batman. Oh, uh... I... Andy Circus is Alfred. What? Oh, that's just weird, but I don't know. It could work. Uh, Here's the one that excites me. Yeah. And I I think it's going to sound weird to most people at first, but I am a million percent on board with this. Colin Farrell is the penguin. Colin Farrell, like Bullseye? Like Bullseye, like I never miss. We're going to do Sexy Penguin now? Sexy Penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they went so far one way the last time they did Penguin that kind of the only way to go in is just try a different angle, I suppose. I think... I think Colin Farrell will do an amazing job at portraying the child of privilege yeah. penguin. Yeah, I can see entitled rich white boy out of Colin Farrell. That's, I mean, he's fine. I've enjoyed every hey. movie he's in. I'm not knocking Colin Farrell. I think he just could pull off the role. He never misses. <laughs> Except for that movie. Yeah. Uh, Titans got renewed for a third season. I haven't watched any of the second season yet. I never finished the first season. Um... The second season does look legitimately better. The first season was just so try-hard grimdark. Like, they were super determined to not be the cartoon. I've heard way more up-and-down things about the second season. That, like, its highs are even higher than the highs from season one. Its lows are even... But I'm not sure if its lows get as low, but that lows are still present when you're really good at something when you're off it's so much more noticeable it's not fair but it's more noticeable i don't know i'm i'll i'll see how excited i am about that news once i've actually watched season two yeah that's fair uh i'm excited that it's happening in general because it means that it's working for them from a business standpoint and that means we're gonna keep getting cool shit yeah but that's that's about as far as I can say right now. And that kind of goes almost into the next news in that uh, Neil Gaiman 
is already starting to work on the second season of Sandman. Oh, wow. That man is never going to be able to write his novel again. No. Like, <laughs> he, he's now too involved in TV. He was working on a novel, put it aside to start American Gods, put that aside to do uh, Good, good Omens, Omens, which, God, I loved Good Omens. Oh, it was so good. Uh, finished Good Omens, started working on Sandman. Like, I hope he's getting to write his novel. He is... Uh, my my fiance follows him on Tumblr, and she is very much talking about how much he misses writing novels. But he keeps getting really good paying TV gigs. Yeah, and I mean he's not getting to write a novel, but he's getting put in positions where they're giving him a lot of creative control over these. Yeah, he's earned that clout between the last two projects we were just talking about. Absolutely, uh, they're already working on. He's already working on the second season with David Goyer and showrunner Alan Heinberg. Not necessarily in the sense that the second season has been green, greenlit yet, but... What do I know Heinberg from? I forgot to look him up. I know he wrote Young Avengers, like he created that book, which was really good, by the way. And I know he's a TV guy, but okay, that's fine. Um, they have very recently dropped a trailer for a movie out of... This almost fits more into my other podcast, but uh, there's crossover. They've dropped a trailer for Richard Stanley's adaptation of Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. I heard someone talking about that. That's There is apparently a adaptation of the Dunwich Horror that's coming up uh, being done. Ooh, I'm not sure. I didn't write it down who's doing it. So, But <clears throat> over lot. at Spectre Vision, because of those two, they're considering doing a Lovecraft universe. Well... You know, there's enough stuff there that if they do it right, it could go really well. My problem is anytime someone's like, we're going to make a shared universe, they ignore the fact that Marvel works their asses off to make that work and instead just start launching stuff. It went, it's what happened with The Mummy. It's what happened with, uh, oh, God. Uh, they were trying to do like a G.I. Joe, oh, Micronauts, everything yeah. that Hasbro owns, and that went nowhere. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I've read almost all of the Lovecraft, so a shared universe already exists there. Things cross over if you're paying enough attention to the details, and families cross over, and places cross over. It's kind of the proto-Stephen King universe. Yeah, well, and the cool thing is they could do, um, if they had the rights for it, they could work in Conan the Barbarian at the same time, because Howard wrote for the Lovecraft universe in a few stories. That's true. And uh, beyond just being pen pals, they used each other's work in there. There's um, a reference to Bran MacMorn in one of the one of the Lovecraft stories, and uh, they reference the, the old gods a few times in some of the Conan. And of course there's like the expanded Lovecraft verse with the August or Leth stuff and the other writers that have continued it on. I have never read any of those. Me either, because I kind of... It's a little bit it's, it's weird. I, I'm, I haven't come to grips with how I feel about whether that should be considered canon or not to I Lovecraft universe. I feel the same way about the later Conan writers. Like, they, uh, a guy named Elsprog de Camp, that I'm oh. probably mm-hmm. mispronouncing that... Uh, wrote some new Conan, and he's... Amazing writer. But not but... a great Conan writer. 
uh, he rewrote a couple of the Conan books and just slashed them, like slashed and burned the editing. Uh, there's a very specific flow to Conan that just, it didn't come across. But he also is the reason why we still know who Conan is today. So, you know, good sides, downsides. Right, and I think it's Durleth that took over most of the Lovecraft properties and made sure that they were reprinted ad infinitum until the modern day. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. The shared universe exists there. I'm kind of with you. I'm hesitant. I don't like people just barging into a shared universe, but it exists within the original IP. So go for it. Yeah. If you can make it work, I'm, I love Lovecraft. So <laughs> give me an amazing version of some of these stories. Cause that is yet to be done in a lot of cases. I've got a buddy that can't stand Lovecraft. Just, just uh, rename the cat in the rats in the walls. What's his name? In... I'm not repeating it on air. Oh, good. It was one of Lovecraft's crazy racist things. Um, <laughs> uh, I've got this buddy that can't stand Lovecraft, and I'm not a big fan myself. Like, I it, admire what the world's come out of it, but he's not my speed. But he was talking about Lovecraft's habit of everything being unknowable or undescribable or... Which is weird, because then he spends three paragraphs describing, describing that. it. <laughs> <laughs> and just, he, we were... I don't know, reading the book or something, and he just starts screaming, he's a fish man. You just describe him as a fish man. It's not hard. Oh, yeah, that Innsmouth look. <laughs> oh, I know it all too well. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's some weird things to his writing. I have tried to imitate Lovecraft style myself at times. If I can find that writing, I will show it to you. Oh, good. <laughs> if we ever get a Patreon, we can put, like, our bad high school writing up on it. Just, like, a reward. Embarrass ourselves. It was actually uh, a farewell to an old couch of mine. <laughs> okay. That was not what I was expecting, but I, I am interested. hated that couch. Oh, that kind of couch. Anyway, moving on with the news. All right. Uh, over on the CW, I don't know if either of these are for sure going to series, but they are working on a female-led version of <laughs> Kung Fu. The the yeah Grasshopper the, yeah. yeah Carradine and Zoro. I heard about the Zoro one. Um, I'm a little yeah. nervous now that I know it's CW. I love CW, but they are so trashy uh in theory i'm behind both of these i'll watch them i am not arguing against that i just i love zorro i mean i love so many things it's not hard to do but like the matt wagner zorro series did such a good job of allowing it to have the fun and swashbuckling buckling without being too campy which was an excellent balance. I thought the first Antonio Banderas kind of did that too. The second one just I camped agree. out of existence. That first Antonio Banderas is pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's camp. It's like on the campier side of what I can do with Zoro. Mm-hmm. Um, kung Fu. I'm wondering what they're gonna do if they lean into actual kung fu tropes. I'm I'm down to clown. Like I love me some kung fu movies. If they manage to actually recreate that feeling. I'm down, because even the old Kung Fu show didn't do that. If they could pull it off, it could be real cool. Make it an Asian star. Yeah. It should have been an Asian... I mean, originally it it was supposed to be Bruce Lee, but he couldn't get anyone to do it, so we got a white boy to do the role for him. I trust CW to do that more than almost any of the other networks out there right now. 
with how they've actually had a shit ton of diversity across their superhero shows compared to where we're seeing anywhere else. So I, I trust them to get that right at least. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right. So also, since we last talked, Disney Plus dropped. Yep. I've watched a lot of it. Well, I've watched a lot of very specific parts of it. Uh, have you been running into any of the problems? Because no, I think that's um, the news right now, is that a lot of people have been running into bugs. I think it's not nearly as well designed as like Netflix, because we just have the Netflix app or whatever it is on the computer. You just press the thing, goes on the whole thing. Uh, well, Disney Plus is just on a website. Uh, the search function isn't as good. I don't, It just feels a lot more primitive. But I, it, I was able to watch a bunch of Star Wars and some National Geo documentaries, so like I have done what I want it to do. I guess, well, the news right now is it's been crashing on people. Like that I said, does the not search... surprise me. There was, what, like 11 million subscribers the first day? Yeah, something insane, dude. Um, and people like me who have their friends code? <laughs> people haven't been too happy with the search. And then, of course, there's been some backlash to the way that some of the things have been uploaded. Uh... Luckily, they have said that we're getting The Simpsons in its correct aspect ratio oh, next year. I was reading year. about that yesterday, because Simpsons fans are Simpsons fans are deep. They yeah. get into it. Well, and it ruins some of the jokes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, some of the visual gags got definitely impacted, and we're missing the Michael Jackson episode. Yeah, they pulled that after uh, Finding Neverland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, over on the Star Wars side of things, we have an all-new addition to the Greedo shooting first saga. Oh, yeah, they added a weird, like, before... Yeah, McClunky or something like that. No, that's it, McClunky! <laughs> I don't know why. I don't care why. I... <laughs> I haven't went too deep on it yet. I've just been making sure to keep caught up on The Mandalorian. And I have only using it for one show has been working just perfect for me. So I've used it for the Mandalorian. I've been rewatching Rebels, which I think is horrifically underrated, and whatever random National Geographic has been getting me excited so far. Um, and I am I'm going to dig back. Like I'm going to go back through Gargoyles. I loved that show as a kid. Gargoyles is on my list. Uh, is Darkwing Duck on there? Ooh, I think so. I know some of the other stuff. I think DuckTales and Rescue Rangers are on there, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's not yet. I'm sure it will be later. Uh, I I know something else that's on there that I doubt is on many other people's to-watch list, but I am going to definitely rewatch The Three Caballeros. <laughs> uh, being that was one of my Euro-Mexican-American movies when I was growing up. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. Uh... It wasn't presented to me quite that bluntly, but looking back, <laughs> looking back on my childhood, I'm like, oh yeah, like all of my picture books as kids were bilingual. <laughs> you are going to have this heritage, and you will like it. And and when we started buying Disney movies, one of them was Three Caballeros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were uh, they were sending you some subtext there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like oh okay, that's cool. Uh, but I, I love that movie to death. Uh, it was brought up just a couple months ago between me and my girlfriend when we watched Coco for the first time. I'm like, oh, this is so much better than what I had as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, well, I was watching it for like the fifth time. It was her first time. I think my Disney Plus kind of lesser known one that I'm going to go searching for is probably Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, nice. A witch fights Nazis by enchanting magic armor to kick them in the shins repeatedly. It's the perfect movie. How would you feel about a Sin City TV series? Do I have to think about that that deeply? Uh, <laughs> I I don't know how to feel about that. Like it could work. Uh, Legendary TV uh, basically has made a deal with Frank Miller. As long as they get a platform like a Netflix or a Hulu or an Amazon to put it on, they're they're down to basically finance a season and see how it goes. You know, there's an interesting style. They could probably do it for relatively cheap. I I, I think it could be done. I still maintain Frank Miller had a stroke somewhere in the 1990s because uh, he Frank went Miller off the kind rails. of if Frank Miller stays away from it for the most part. <laughs> Look, Frank, we'll put your name on it. We'll give you the money pit and just hang out, bud. So, from what I was reading, is the reason that this might go forward is because Frank Miller has regained the rights to Sin City. He oh, didn't okay. have them for a while. He got them back like a year ago. Now he's sort of farming it out seeing what happens that sort of thing uh it seems like if it does happen bob rod still might be on board in some producerial capacity too would rodriguez be involved at all or because he did the first yeah. one didn't he? yeah that's yeah. Uh, robert rodriguez bob oh rod. sorry oh no, uh, no <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, i have no idea who this is but sure i'll just nod and keep going yeah he would possibly still be on in some producerial capacity but that's still also up in the air which I'm, I'm a lot more on board if Robert Rodriguez is involved. Yeah. And less on board if Frank Miller is involved. Oh, what? You don't want The Spirit as a TV series? I, I definitely don't want some... What was the... You know the one. What was the... I don't want Holy, Holy Terror. Terror. Oh, God. Uh, for people who aren't us... Uh, Holy Terror was a post-2001 book that was originally supposed to be Holy Terror Batman. And he described it as a propaganda piece where Batman goes and kicks the shit out of Al-Qaeda. DC Comics really quickly went, Oh man, we do not want Batman involved in your like weird anti-Muslim story. Because it didn't just stay with Al-Qaeda, it just got kind of racist really fast. They're like, we'll still publish it, but you can't use Batman. So it just became Holy Terror. I couldn't do it. I tried it. <laughs> I, I mean, I had just read 300 when it came out. I really enjoyed 300. I do enjoy 300. A little kind of racist, too. But you know what? <laughs> Ugh, your fave is problematic. It's kind of words I've had to live by. We might get a Sin City TV show. We'll see. Uh, Try we it. are getting a release date for the Black Adam movie. I saw that The Rock did something about that. 12-22-21. I'm still back and forth on how I feel about a Black Adam movie before we get like a Black Adam in, in Shazam. Shazam. Uh, but 
Black Adam, they did some really interesting stuff with him in Justice Society, in JSA in the early 2000s. That's where they really moved him from, like, I'm not just a villain to... Black Adam is Black Adam. If you're going to have him as not just a villain, which is, I think, the way they would have cast him ten years ago, Mm -hmm. The Rock. I mean, come on. I mean, he's still The Rock, but... I think of Black Adam a lot like kind of Namor the Submariner anymore. Like, the the good-evil dichotomy doesn't really apply. He's kind of a dick, and he's going to do what he's going to do. Namor's going to Namor? Yeah. Black Adam's going to Black, Black Adam. Adam. Black Adam's going to Namor. I've thought it's amazing casting since they announced it, what, like 50 years ago? Yeah, God, he's been trying since roughly the Scorpion King. Which, to be fair, this is kind of the Scorpion King if he was a superhero. So, sure, we'll give that a try. Um, yeah. I mean, if if I wouldn't have been so pleased with Shazam, I'd be more hesitant about it. Yeah. But I Shazam put a giant smile on my face. So, let's see it. I just give love that the Adam. Captain Marvel family's being, like, important again. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Oh, and it was... Oh, they were all so great. We'll, we'll maybe do an episode on that at some point. We'll get there. We'll get there. I think Captain Marvel's going to come up a bit today. But uh, Witcher Season 2 is already greenlit. Wow. That is optimistic. I uh, mean, I don't... It, it looks good. I don't know enough about The Witcher to have opinions, but that's just... Usually they let an episode or two come out. Right, yeah. Usually, yeah, at least an episode... We're still a month away from it coming out, or is it a couple weeks away from it coming out? I have no idea. We're still time away from it coming out, and they're like, no, we're going to go into season two, because apparently shit's good. Shows are desperately looking for their new Game of Thrones. I think it could be it, if they, they could pull it off. My uh, the the foam fighting people talked about uh, Game of Thrones as uh, garb porn, so you know wearing. Uh, this looks like it could be that too of people just being like, "Yep, that's the armor I'm going to make next." <laughs> Larpers will love it. Oh, uh, so we cyberbullied an entire corporation. Oh, the Sonic. Sonic got redesigned. Feel bad. I still have no interest in that movie, even though it looks so. I now have a hundred times more interest in the movie. Well, yeah, but considering how little I had in the first place, um, it looks the the Sonic redesign looks great, and Jim Carrey looks like he's having a lot of fun. I like when Jim Carrey has fun. (laughs) I I like for Jim Carrey to be happy. Yeah. Following Jim Carrey on social media is kind of like practice and being sad anymore. So, like, sure, bud, you let's go back to your '90s heyday and have some fun with you being just quirky as hell. Yeah, uh, I still don't know if I'm actually going to go see it, but I'm definitely not. I'm a hundred times theaters, more interested I'll than I was. Watch it at some point. Yeah, I'm a hundred times more interested than I was before. This is like the best example of a company actually listening to people that I can think of from. It's, for a while. It's either now, a really, if only they'd pay people better. Oh, God, yeah. It's either a really good sign of, like, they're going to start to listen to what the fans want, or oh. a really bad sign of the fans are going to be able to bully the shit out of people now. Uh, I guess just make sure if you're a fan, get behind good shit, like redesigning that horrendous fucking Sonic that they showed us the first yeah, go Yeah, if you're a fan, don't be a dick. It's really simple. 
Bill Murray has been confirmed to be coming back for the new Ghostbusters. Wow. That is, it's probably what got this Ghostbusters really greenlit. Like, getting him to be like, yeah, okay. I don't know, man. Considering they they already had everyone else back, and it's Reitman's, yeah, it's Reitman's kid doing it. I, I get it. They just had everyone, including Reitman, willing for, like, 15 years. That's true. And once Murray's like, ah, sure, okay, that's when they're... That's, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we did get another Ghostbusters, but... Yeah. Things happened with that. I, I, I thought that movie got crap it did not deserve. It also got a lot of crap it did deserve for yeah, not being I'm, a good movie. It was, but it's hard to talk about thanks to the yeah, uproar it, around it, it. I'm not saying it was the perfect movie, but I am saying some raging sexism oh, came absolutely. up in a way that was just not fair. No, no, not at all. Um, I will 100% stand behind that statement, but... It has also made it hard to talk about the fact that that movie is also just not that great. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> so it's been confirmed that Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, and Moon Knight will actually appear in the movies after they appear on their Disney Plus shows. Well, the nice thing about having Disney, uh, the, all the shows on Disney Plus now is they can control when it comes out a lot easier. Uh, so they can work more on the... On the the time scale, as opposed to Agents of Shield, always had the problem of it. Always felt like it should connect. Yeah, but they weren't ever they not, weren't not very truly well. able to. Um, and of course, I mean the Netflix shows suffered from the same thing. Talk you can to reference the Green Guy was yeah. about as deep as it ever got. Referencing the event. Yeah, they like they could not even bring themselves to say Avengers. They tried, but now. Now they're moving... From, I mean, Marvel's like, okay, look, we gave you Endgame. Let us actually like do this shit. Let us run this shit. Having watched The Mandalorian, I have a lot more trust in these new Disney Plus shows than I did before. God, The Mandalorian's so great. Yeah, we will have an episode basically just about Mandalorians. Like, not even pretending otherwise. So my last thing is Phil Lord... Uh, tweeted out was it a tweet or was it on his insta anyway he put out something hinting that the japanese spider-man might be in the next spider-verse the the giant robot the man ah uh, uh, i am i saw something else that was thinking really hard that superior might be in it um which that'd be a better way of doing dick spider-man than a full movie devoted to Superior. How Superior would be interesting. In it. I am... Yeah. Only to see Superior play off the others. Yeah, I enjoy Superior Spider-Man when he is working with the others. When it was just Superior being Spider-Man at all times, I was yeah, like, no! No, Spider-Man's not a dick. I mean, he kind of is, but like a different kind. So, Supidamon is really important for one really weird reason. He was one of the first Spider-Man... TV shows, wasn't he? Well, that and his mech. Le Leopardmon? Yeah, the, the Leopardon. That's so, it. That was one of the, like, first big mechs. So we have him so like for Power Rangers, is what you're telling me. Yeah, like, the Megazord probably wouldn't exist without Leopardon. Oh, man. Is Gundam thanks to Leopardmon? Because that would make me so happy. I'm not sure, but 
it's kind of one of the shows that's a blueprint for like Super Sentai and all of that shit. <sighs> <laughs> I knew you were special, Spider-Man. Don't ever let anyone tell you different. But that Spider-Man might show up in Spider-Verse. That'd be interesting. I'm I'm way down. I'm I mean as I'm already down because it's already been hinted at the end that we're getting Miguel. So yeah, um, I I am all in favor of bringing more Spider-Man. I just don't want it to become like the cameo show. True. Of... I, yeah, I want them all to be given. If you're going to have a character love. in there, have the character for a reason. I felt like uh, Penny Parker got underused in this most recent or in the first one, uh, just because they had so many other Spider-Men already. That yeah. she just didn't get a chance to shine like a lot of the others did. I'll agree. I also don't know much about Penny Parker. There's not much to know. That's Gerard Way? Yeah. Uh, Gerard Way created her for Edge of Spider-Verse. It's the same place that Gwen came out. Uh, but Gwen exploded like nothing anyone expected. And Penny was like, oh, that's cool. That was a well done like 15 page story. We'll show her in the background here and there. Uh, I'm hoping for some silk myself. Silk could work. I like silk. Uh, would you have which universe would you put her in, or just her own unique? I, one? I'd have her own. Oh, Give okay. her her own. Why not? I would have her as like uh, middle-aged Spider-Man, like pop up in that one, and he suddenly has himself like a sidekick in his universe, and being like, "Wait, I've practiced this." Like, or here's the other way I'd do silk. I'd have silk be from Gwen's. Mm. Uh, and as in the comics, they drive each other up a wall, so that could be a really fun. Well, and also switch it so instead of having the genetic attraction to Peter, it's the genetic attraction to Gwen, or to Miles. Either way, sounds fun. Just a big polyamorous Spider-Man relationship. Hit it! It's 2019. I'm, we can do, do this. It. Do it! I'm down with this. Let's do it. Let's, let's jump in the spider pile. Oh Jesus! <laughs> That's all I have for news, though. Okay, only, only bit of news I have to add in. I've not been following the news that closely, because we're still not 100% sure when this is going to launch. Uh, soon, I'll, soon. Yes, I'm working soon. hard. <laughs> but I'll be a little better about it when I'm like, oh, this is coming out on the 25th. Not like, this is coming out in six months. No, next week. Uh, is the Harley Quinn animated series trailer dropped. Right. It looks uh, fun. Yeah. I am... It's the trailer that I've probably been most interested in that I've seen DC launch. Because if done right, it could be so good. Uh, I think it's going to be really easy to fuck that up. Oh, yeah, no. If it goes bad, it goes real bad. But it, it reminds me a lot of the other Harley Quinn solo comic series where they've done, which is Harley striking out on her own. Uh, and you can tell some really interesting stories with that while still having some... Some violence. It's very obvious that they watched Deadpool while smoking weed a couple of times and went, let's make that, but, you know, Harley. Uh, I'm more excited for that than I am. I love Margaret Robbie. Yeah. But I'm more excited for that than I am for Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Uh, I I got that name right, didn't I? I think so. Yes. Uh, I really love the Birds of Prey comic, and I don't mind them not being devoted to just recreating that. But thanks to the Birds of Prey TV show from like the early two thousands, like around now season streaming one of Smallville. On DC oh God, don't watch it. <laughs> you know how I know that because I watched all of it. 
because I was like 13 and she was hot. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I watched it like a year and a half later and it was just like, I'm just going to hide this. Like, Never mind. I, I picked it up on DVD when I was like 25 just because I found it in like the $10 bin. I'm like, I'm sentimental. And I watched one episode and I was like, I'm not that sentimental. <laughs> uh, uh, so I just automatically have a fear of... Birds, Birds of, of prey, prey, which is too bad because the comic's great. But I, I am way more excited about the Harley Quinn cartoon than I was expecting to be. It's still a big question mark, but I'm, I'm, ex- yeah, like you said, I'm excited. I got Fun a good feeling trail. about it. I think it's going to be the out of left fielder that's like better than it has any right to be. That's already been Doom Patrol, sir. Okay, fine, fair enough. Uh, which, this but if be they re- match Doom Patrol. This will be real fun to listen to in like six months when it comes out. And we're just like, oh my god, it was terrible. Why did they do that? (laughs) I'll just be like, I totally didn't announce that on the end. (laughs) Anyways. I'm I'm out of news. That's, oh, we are all newsed out. God, isn't that a nice feeling in 2019? I I mean, we could go into real life news, but this is not. Nope, 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 (laughs) nope. I I read enough articles of that in regular life. Yeah, because then we're just going to be sitting here ad infinitum because it's and, coming out nonstop. <laughs> and for episode three, they just screamed for 45 minutes and then turned off the recording. So what's what's our next segment? Uh, God, what have you been... What media have you been ingesting? Oh, shit. What have I been ingesting? I have not been ingesting much the past... But I've been keeping caught up on everything... Uh, what I've been most excited about has still been Watchmen and Castle Rock. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I can. Well, other than Mandalorian, which yeah, we keep bringing up, but and we'll talk about it more in depth. We, we already decided to have a specific episode on that. We're trying not to get too excited. Later, I'm so excited. Um, yeah, I have. Let's see what I I reread the first volume of Spider Gwen since we were already talking about that. That was. It's a lot of fun. Um, I was telling you beforehand and you had no idea what I was talking about. It's a comic book that feels like music. It's a very specific style of comic writing that I have no idea how to replicate. Uh, But it's super cool. I completely discounted my own actual media experiences from this past week. Yeah? Just because I am a little bit tired right now. I actually did go and see a couple movies since we last talked. Yeah, what'd you see? So... There's been a huge resurgence in Stephen King across everything lately. All you Stranger Things fucking lovers out there. It's kind of the zeitgeist. I was on Audible and being like, what am I going to use my credit on? And suddenly it's like, maybe I should finally try out The Dark Tower. So it's just, there's something in the air. Uh, So I went and saw Doctor Sleep. How was it? It's it's good. I heard the reviews are good, but no one's seeing it. No one's going and seeing it. I wish people would go see it. It's not a masterpiece. But it's not made by Stanley Kubrick either. <laughs> well, King actually likes this one as opposed to the Stanley Kubrick. Um, this one, it has it has its fault flaws. It has its places where it falls flat. But it is overall an intensely enjoyable experience with some just really... Some of the visuals are really neat and really imaginative. Do an amazing job of selling this weird almost psychic warfare that they're doing with the shining so that is cool uh that's one of those things that's really hard to get across visually 
That, uh, I feel like that sort of thing works almost best in literature. But that book came out way more recently, right? Like I know Shining was from the seventies. I think that's the other problem. I feel like it didn't get advertised in the right way. I think a lot of people don't realize there was a book that he wrote that they're ad that they're adapting. I yeah, think they're just like, oh, they made a fucking movie shit mm, sequel to The Shining. It came out in like two thousand nine or something like that. So yeah, it's way more. It's way more recent, but it is a Stephen King book. It's not just like they decided to make a sequel to the movie mm-hmm. because they're cashing in on Stephen King being a thing right now. Why not? He is every ten years or so. Uh, the movie does marry elements from both the book and the movie. I did read about the director being terrified of that because he knew how much King hated the the movie. I... And like watching it with King and doing that, like looking over at them every 30 seconds kind of... I have a feeling that's why King likes it, is because he actually uh, uses some storylines from the book in a new context in this movie. Nice. Uh, I think he does a really good job for how much he was having to deal with and how much scrutiny he was going to be under for even attempting this project. Oh, yeah. There, look, there's no winning on this one. Like, I look super forward to seeing more work from him. I greatly enjoyed it. There are problems with it, but not enough to not go see it. Cool. And... I went and saw a fucking Palme d'Or winner. I don't know what that is. At Cannes, the Palme d'Or, like the best in show. Oh, okay. Big. This is going to be for those film nerds out there. Uh, and almost fits more into my other podcast. But it's a thriller, not a horror. Uh, I went and saw a Korean uh, black comedy thriller called Parasite. I have heard really good things about it. It is amazing. It is so well done. Uh, I wasn't... Uh, I, it wasn't what I was expecting, uh, looking back on it, ish, I should have expected some of the things a little bit more, just having seen some of the other, some of the director's other work. But it's probably mostly playing in art houses right now, so it's mm. probably not going to be the easiest thing to go say, "Hey, everybody, go check this out." But once you get a chance to check out Parasite, definitely check it out. It's way more of a comedy than. Uh, any of the advertisements make it seem to be. The advertisements advertisements are kind of hilarious because it looks like just straight-up Korean horror and they keep being like, darkly funniest movie of the year. Well, that was jarring. It plays with horror tropes, but it plays with them in a way where the movie plays out as a thriller, not as like an actual horror movie. So Cool. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Bong Joon-ho knocked it out of the park. So... Last big one that I've really ingested this week. I've been making more than reading lately. I finished up working on some leather projects. Uh, Leather armor. Is the History of Rome podcast. Uh, It is exactly what it promises to be. It's done now. It finished in like 2017. It's like 170-ish episodes. Each one's about 15 minutes long. And the thing is, the guy who makes it, whose name I did not think to look up, was just talking about how tracking down the history of Rome is really complicated because there's over a thousand years of history and there's a bunch of people with the same names and it's all convoluted because the Romans loved politics, just loved politics. So it's broken down into 15-minute sessions. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, this led to this. It is, for people who know Rome really well, it is not going to be probably much new information, but for people like me who knew just enough to be confused, it's been a really nice way to, like, view the timeline. Awesome. As a history nerd. 
and you were already telling me about that the other day. I still have to check it out, but I'm definitely going to because it does sound pretty interesting. I like those shorter podcasts too because it's nice for like I'm going to the store. I have time to listen to like an episode as opposed to well, us is going to be you know sit. I'm going to sit down for a while. That's right. Uh, God, yeah, because we haven't even gotten to our actual topic yet. Oh boy, we're getting there. We're getting there. Hey, we're getting this down. We're getting this down. All right, DC. Okay. We're getting to it. <laughs> DC. They have they officially changed the name, like shortened the name to DC Comics, right? Uh, it's yeah. not like it's not like back in the day when you would have been saying Detective Comics Comics. They actually didn't even. St- I I just learned this today because I was reading up on them. Uh, they were not officially named DC Comics until 1972. Okay. Uh, but they've been calling themselves, they started advertising themselves as a Superman DC comic book in like 1940, like real early. Uh, and they just never got around changing the name. Uh, DC Comics was founded by entrepreneur Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, whatever that all means, uh, wow. as National Allied Comics. Or National Allied Publications, and then later National Comics, uh, way back in 1934, 35, geez. Uh, their first books were Adventure Comics and Detective Comics. Adventure Comics is actually noteworthy because it, it featured, I believe, the first creation of Joe Shuster and Jerry Siegel, the creators of Superman, mm. uh, with a character named Dr. Occult, who's still actually used today. Oh, wow. Uh, he is DC's oldest existing property that is still in use. He's not in a lot of use. He's kind of like a low-rent Phantom Stranger. But uh, he appeared in Neil Gaiman's Books of Magic, uh, a recent book called Mystic You that was kind of what if DC's uh, magic characters went to Hogwarts. This is a good book. Anyways, uh, and then Detective Comics, of course, was the source of Batman around issue 27, I believe. Yeah, that's something I do know off the top of my head. 27. Uh, but before jumping into Batman, the, of course, their first big creation was they were launching another book, Action Comics number one, featuring Superman. The, I mean, the big guy. Yeah. He's, uh, uh, Superman is not nearly as popular as he used to be, and for the life of me, I do not understand it. I love Superman. From what I've read, I haven't read the stories themselves, but I've been reading some of the news articles coming out around them. I feel like storyline-wise, they're trying to make him the linchpin for the entire universe again. Well, you know what? He can hold it. Honestly, he can hold it better than Batman, I think. Because Batman's a dick. That's true. I yeah, love Batman, true. but Batman's a dick. So everyone being like, oh no, we can rely on Batman. No. You go, god damn it, I have to deal with Batman again. So we still have, in the early, early years, we mm-hmm. still have a couple other names and stuff involved. But this isn't like Marvel at all. Like, they they kind of coalesce into something way earlier. Yeah. Uh, they Part of what makes DC so confusing is they had a habit of stealing other companies and then introducing their characters. Uh, and actually, JSA, when it first launched, was like four different comic character companies together that all eventually got merged into DC Comics. I'm not even trying to keep up with that. I would love to do like a history of comic books, but it would have to be its own podcast. I'd get way too excited. But in 1930, 
I wrote this down. 1938, Superman comes out. Superman's ridiculously popular. They decide they're going to do another one. They approach a guy named Bob Kane, or possibly Bob Kane or came to them, uh, and he created the concept of the Bat-Man. <laughs> Have you ever seen his original designs? I... I don't know if I've seen his original designs, but I saw that comic that somebody did where it's the Batman with only the cane elements. Oh my god. So, the Batman was inspired by Da Vinci, because there's that famous Da Vinci... The Vitruvian Man, right? Yeah. The Vitruvian Man and a... He basically designed what would be like bat wings for a person. Oh. And they, it was early ideas for a flying oh, device. And okay, it never yeah, I know what you're talking about. But so when he created the Bat... Dash man, he uh, uh, Bob Kane created this blonde character in a red leotard with a domino mask, kind of the uh, like Robin style with big ass bat wings, Da Vinci style on the back. <laughs> Who I don't think the wings flew because, like, I'm pretty sure he's still on like a zip line in the comet or in like the design has anyone reused that design for batman's rogues gallery they that's... have not but they absolutely need to because that sounds it also kind of sounds like a flash villain to be honest i would a hundred percent just be behind them doing like a little elseworld story where they use the original character concept uh, but then Bob Kane got the help of a guy named Bill Finger, and Bill Finger went on to create Batman. He did. He was responsible for God. I think the Batmobile, Robin, the Joker. On some level, there's some there's history, decades of arguments about that one. Uh, Catwoman, Penguin, Riddler, Two Face, the Batmobile, the Batcave. Uh, so Batman, the giant, yeah. Everything that we think of as Batman today is mostly thanks to Bill Finger, but he only started getting credit within the last, like, Few years. two years, I think it was, uh, because Bob Kane was a giant dick. If we're being really honest, he was a giant dick. He got a very good contract somehow. In the history of the Golden Age of Comics, he's the only person that ever got a good contract out of it, where he was the sole credit for Batman. Um, he was given credit for writing and drawing it up through a good part of the 50s, and he had stopped real early on. He just, they ghostwrit it, and still he got credit for it. And during his lifetime, he would not let anyone else get credit for creating the Batman. And it was only like 10 to 20 years after his death that they started being Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Uh, and I was giggling like a crazy person in Barnes & Noble the first time I saw that, to be honest <laughs> with you. So we have those characters being created early on. What else do they acquire as they start to move forward into more like the 40s, 50s, 60s? Uh, you know, two quick things about this mm -hmm. era that are fun. Uh, quick question. Do you know who the first female superhero was? Because it's not who you would think it would be. Oh... I don't, I don't have a name, but I'm going to guess a character archetype because I know that there was like four or five of them back in the day. Go was ahead. it one of the different like jungle women? It was not. Okay. Or arguably. It might have been a jungle woman named Phantom, but she's not DC. We can talk about her a different day. <laughs> the most likely answer, though, was the Red Tornado. Okay. Red Tornado, yeah. seen in Supergirl, is a dude robot 
also possibly a wind elemental or something. It's confusing. I love him, but he is... Confusing. Yes. But he was a recreation of the original Red Tornado, who was a woman named Ma Hunkle. She wore a pot on her head with little eyeballs cut out. I've seen her. (laughs) And she was the first superhero parody comic, and she may have been the first character, uh, female superhero character to carry her own book. She came out the year before Wonder Woman. Wow. Yeah. Other fun one. I think she pretended to be a man. Uh, And then the other fun one that relates into that is, have you ever heard of a character, and I'd be surprised if you have, named Madame Fatale? No. Or Madame Fatal, I don't know. I prefer my pronunciation. Madame Fatal is the Mrs. Doubtfire of superhero comics. That is everything it sounds like. District Attorney, I forget his name because they were all forgettable district attorneys back then. Right. Dresses like a little old lady... And beats the crap out of supervillains. Wow. It's perfect. I think it's because, like, his daughter got kidnapped or something like that. Why? He's like, you know what? I should be a granny. But, like, in his few appearances, they'll be like, oh, here's a little old lady. She must be lost. Let's go threaten her in the middle of this, like, supervillain base. And then she just, like, starts beating the crap out of him with her weighted purse. Like, she's... It's so fucking funny. And what's special wow. about her is, for some reason, of all the Golden Age characters that you would think, the people would just be like, we're just not going to talk about that one. DC keeps bringing her up again. Uh, in a funeral episode, they talk about, or not episode, issue, uh, they talk about she's buried in, uh, they called it Valhalla in DC. It's just where all the superheroes go to get buried. Mm, okay. uh, the ones that died in service. And one of the JSA members like, well, at least there's more people here than Madame Fatale. All that showed up was the touring cast of Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she appeared recently in a like Darwin Cook run book when he was still alive in The Shade, which is as recently as like 2012. Damn. Yeah. That's it is so weird and i love it so much it's everything i love about the golden age where they're like well we're getting a dollar a page why not (laughs) um but like as we're talking about all these people coming out we can't of course not talk about wonder woman if there's you know it's the trinity it's superman batman wonder woman uh, and Wonder Woman has by far the most interesting creator in possibly the history oh, of comics. I 100% back this if you're going to tell this story right William now. William Moulton Marston is insane. I don't know how this happened. So This story is incredible. So William Moulton Marston, also, first of all, if you ever get the chance, The Secret History of Wonder Woman is a book that is a biography of the life of... William Moulton Marston, and then the effect that Wonder Woman had on pop culture and just culture, American culture going forward. But the first, like, third of it is before Wonder Woman even is created. It's just what led to the creation. William Moulton Marston wrote a article, I believe, about how the... Or gave an interview or something where he's talking about how the great potential of the superhero hadn't been used. Uh, quick question. Do you know what's famous about William Moulton Marston... That would have led to him getting stuff like interviews. Uh, inventor of the polygraph. One of them, at least. Yeah. He was the one that determined, like, heart rate changed based off responses and stuff. He was also super interesting. Um, he 
and his wife, who was also a professional psychologist, which was unheard of back they then. Both professors. Uh, she wasn't only because women couldn't be professors. Right. When he didn't want to teach his class, she would go do it instead. And apparent, and I fell in love with her in this with the story of a male student was being kind of a dick because you know it was well honestly being male students, and then also the 1930s. And she's like, you know what? I'm teaching this class, and no one's gonna give a good goddamn about what happens to you. And I'm like, <laughs> you go, girl. Uh, and then they had a third person in their relationship. I want to say, like, I have no idea. I uh, Olive something. I think I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I'll find her name if you want to just continue with Theo. But between. He's like, okay, I'm going to create this character that's the great potential of mankind, solve most of the answers with love. And his wife was like, okay, but make her a woman. And so he made Wonder Woman, who was based off his wife and their significant other. That both of them were, so it was a three-way Olive Byrne. Olive Byrne. They made a movie about these three a year or two ago. and Pro- I, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. And I know that one of the family members was just like, no. No, this isn't accurate, but it it's on some level accurate. Like I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how salacious they go. But it was they were in a documented polyamorous, loving polyamorous by the sound of it relationship. He because he died first and they stayed together. Didn't I'm pretty they? sure yes. Uh, and he created Wonder Woman based off of his theories on feminism because he was a very early feminist. Uh, he was still a man from the 1940s and all the awkward that that entails. Uh, when they m- got married, he didn't like his wife's first name, so she changed it. Because that's just what you did back then, because, whoo boy. <laughs> uh, but the other thing he based Wonder Woman off of was his theories on bondage. He believed that women should run the world, and the, but also had some weird, submissive, kinky stuff about women. But he thought that the only way to be truly strong was to enjoy, and uh, truly strong and free, was to enjoy the feeling of being bonded by someone else. So loving submission. Yeah, it comes up a lot. Um, Do you ever read Grant Morrison wrote Wonder Woman Earth One? I didn't read it, but I actually listened to an interview that he gave when he was still in the process of writing it and was talking about what he was putting he into it. He leaned into the bondage one on that one, uh, to the point that Wonder Woman offers like a chain and collar to Steve Trevor, who in that one is black, and he's like, oh boy, I know you don't understand some stuff, but here's why that's not okay. Um, it was the best of the Wonder Woman, not the Wonder Woman, the the, the best of the Earth One line, line of books, which were okay. That's what I've heard. They were okay. okay. Um, that was the one I was most interested in from that yeah, interview. Yeah, that's the one that I still have a copy of. Mm. And then also coming out during this age was Green Lantern, The Flash, The Justice Society instead of The Justice League. The Adam Hawkman. Society had some fun members, if I remember right. Dr. Fate was my favorite of them. Uh, And none of these are the characters that you would really know today, with the exception of you probably know the Flash from the Jay Garrick Flash. Mm -hmm. uh, From the Flash. Uh, These were all earlier characters. They were mostly either just like strongmen or uh, magic-based. Instead of a space cop, uh, Green Lantern was a engineer who crashed his train or his train crashed and he grabbed a magic lantern and it gave him powers but made him weak to wood right 
Which is why Solomon Grundy was a problem originally, because Solomon Grundy was made out of plant. Yeah. Uh, Flash got his powers from breathing in superheated (laughs) Solomon Grundy's got wood. Oh, God. (laughs) You ain't wrong, probably on multiple levels. Um, Rigor mortis has said it. The Adam didn't have any shrinking powers. He was just a kind of short dude that hit people, and he called himself the Adam because... He was sort of short. I, I think they later they gave him nuclear powers, but it wasn't until like the seventies, mm. like when they're like, "Wow, this name doesn't make any sense." Where's Obsidian in there? I love Obsidian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Obsidian's Green Lantern's son, uh, but I don't think he comes up until like until the eighties, like with Infinity Inc. Um, and then Hawkman is actually one of the only characters where his gr- uh, Golden Age origin is the one that stuck. Because uh, in the Golden Age, he is Prince Khufu, the, or he's the reincarnation of Prince Khufu. Right in, in the mer- current day, he's archaeologist Carter Hall, uh, who has just been bo- reborn throughout time. Uh, in the Silver Age, when they relaunched all of these characters, he was a space cop because Green Lantern had been really popular. Comics were huge. They were selling, I mean, these days, a good selling comic sells maybe a few hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. They were selling millions. They were everywhere. Oh, those funny books. They were making the mob so much money. Because <laughs> I think I mentioned this somewhere before, the mob controlled the uh, printing mm. publications. I, I read, it's unfortunate, it was like the best book that I have ever read about Golden Age history. Uh, and I'm not going to say what it's called because the author got arrested for child porn and I just don't want it. And I was like, God, No! <laughs> No, you were so good. You were, why? <laughs> why did you do that? I'm mad for like other more important reasons, but I'm also mad because I liked your book. <laughs> like, God, sorry, that went dark. But the Golden Age, they were printing out so much, they were acquiring other companies. Uh, the only people that were really beating them back then was the previously mentioned Captain Marvel, who was owned by Fawcett Comics at the time, and was like, it's interesting because a lot of people like when Shazam came out, they're like, who the hell is Shazam? Shazam was the biggest comic book in the world. It it outsold everything. I'm just I'm waiting for this to get into the whole fact that Captain Marvel. We are on the DC episode, folks. If you didn't know. Oh this. yes, sorry. <laughs> Captain Marvel, modernly known as Shazam, but it was known <laughs> as Captain Marvel until about 2012, and it's unfortunately I learned about him when I was like seven, and so that's just the name. Right. In the 1970s, when DC owned the character, uh, Marvel had already claimed the Captain Marvel name with trademarks, so they had to start calling the book Shazam or The Power of Shazam, but they didn't actually change the name until about 2012. Captain Marvel, if you haven't somehow seen the movie, considering how well it did, he said the name Shazam transformed into Captain Marvel. Shazam was the wizard, and you could tell that you were the obnoxious comic nerd that I was when I was like, no! Shazam is the name of the wizard! And I'm still curious, because I haven't seen the movie. Can he say his name, or does he just randomly, like... Because it used to be anytime he said the word Shazam, he would transform in and out. Right. Uh, I think it... I, I don't... I think it's anytime he says Shazam, he still transforms in and out. How do you... Like, and that, that, that's just, I think, what bothers me. I'm like, how does he say his name? I can't... 
I don't know if he ever says his own name. I think people start calling him Shazam. But there now is, I'm more confused. But there's but a sure. joke in the movie about them having to come up with a name for him. His sidekick actually had that problem. Captain Marvel Jr. was like the number two selling. Captain Marvel was really cartoony, and Captain Marvel Jr. had a much more like realistic drawing style. It was interesting. Mm. Um, realistic for, you know, mm-hmm. 1940s comic books. He got his powers from Captain Marvel, so he called himself, or so he, instead of saying Shazam, said Captain Marvel. (laughs) So his name being Captain Marvel Jr., he couldn't say his own name. Without. So he either called himself CM Jr. or CM2, which I thought was CM Squared when I was a kid, and I was like, Uh, who the hell is CM Squared? Centimeter Squared. (laughs) I'm confused, but anyways. Who's the square um, centimeter? (laughs) uh, Captain Marvel Jr. being fun because, I might have mentioned this in the first episode, Elvis based his Las Vegas era look, like the most famous look, off of Captain Marvel Jr. Because he was a giant Dorkin fan. Uh, At the Elvis Museum, they have his collection. It's one of the most complete Captain Marvel Jr. collections of in the world. That's amazing. Uh, I did not know that. That that's where the little like half cape comes from, and the yeah. That makes a lot Uh, more sense now. And comics answered to it by making Captain Marvel Junior a giant Elvis fan in later years. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it it was just great. Um, Unfortunately, Fawcett got sued out of existence by DC because DC is litigious as hell, and they were like, "Well, this guy is obviously Superman," and they're like, "Oh." Yeah, so instead of fighting it, they shuttered their comic book line, and DC bought it, and then in, I believe, 1972, in the 70s, they relaunched just as Shazam, with starring Captain Marvel. Yes. There is an ongoing... I don't remember enough details from the movie. There is an ongoing joke, though, with them trying to come up with a nickname for him. I really like the character, so I'm really glad. And I thought Zachary Levi was a really good choice of someone that could be serious when he needs to be, but still be a, you know, goofy, goofy little dude. Uh, I shouldn't say little. He is very large in that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, the suit does a great job. He bulked him. up good, and then they spent a lot of money making him, him even bigger. bigger. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a book called Seduction of the Innocent? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of Seduction of the Innocent. Okay. Just real quick, what is Seduction of the Innocent? I've, I've only ever heard of it, but was it Seduction of the Innocent where they brought up the Batman Robin thing? <laughs> yeah. So in the late 40s... <laughs> Uh, uh, that's where we that's I, where we get their aunt, right? <laughs> yep. The Batman and Robin are gay thing. Uh, a guy named um, Professor Wortham. He's a giant dick. Uh, technically was a psychologist, but with really, really terrible like ethics practices. That's that's like how uh, Ben Carson is technically a brain surgeon. <laughs> he was at least good at being a brain surgeon. Yeah, but. He decided that comic books were responsible for all of modern day woes. He's the reason the kids these days are bad. Or they're the reason kids these days are bad. And he did really terrible, like, ways of judging. Like, he would ask people in, like, juvie, like, do you read comic books? And they're like, yeah, sure, dude, whatever. And he's like, obviously it's proven! (laughs) Right. But everyone read comic books. Millions of copies a year were being sold. And he writes a book called Seduction of the Innocent. In the late 40s, comic books were already losing some of their popularity of um, post-World War II. 
and in this, amongst other things, he alleges that Batman and Robin are in a homosexual pedophilic relationship. And I have no problem with gay Batman, but pedophile Batman I've got some issues with, for obvious reasons. And that Wonder Woman was created to express lesbianism and bondage. And you can tell, like, Martin Martin well. is just like, so, uh, um, <laughs> I've got some stuff to tell you, but for the sake of the industry, we're going to pretend that I don't. Right. Uh, and so, Batman comics of this era, because Marston got it so there were con- congressional hearings, national congressional hearings on comic books being the bane of existence. Uh, and so Batman's like, we have to fix this. Or I guess DCS, we have to fix this. And their answer was to kill Alfred and have Dick's Aunt Miriam or something like was that. It Aunt Harriet? Aunt Harriet, that's what it is. Move in. And if their old octogenarian aunt is living with them, then it's not gay anymore. They couldn't possibly be gay. They also introduced uh, the original Batwoman and the original Batgirl who are not the Batwoman or Batgirl we know today, to be romantic interests. They had utility purses. They were not good. They were not good at all. Have they they been reclaimed at all? Uh, The modern Batwoman uses basically the same name. The original was Kathy Kane. This one's Kate Kane. Kate Kane. Uh, And they later reintroduced Kathy Kane as like... The head of a super secret spy organization. Oh, okay. Uh, it's super confusing. And they tried to recreate Batgirl as uh, Flamebird for the Teen Titans. She was basically just a... It didn't work. It, it, she was basically just a, a Nightwing fangirl. Oh, weird. It didn't go well. Yeah. Barbara Gordon, Cassandra Kane, Stephanie... Brown, infinitely more powerful Batgirls. If you are interested in female Bat characters, I can introduce you to about 50 before we get to those two that are worth knowing. Um, and then Wonder Woman just kind of stopped talking about the weird, like, she lost her powers whenever she got tied up kind of thing. Because that was an original Wonder Woman thing. Mm. And Steve Trevor got way more weird and possessive, and she got kind of weak for a while, being like, oh, I'm sorry, Steve. Someday I'll quit superheroing so we can get married. I was like, no, don't. You're so much cooler. And this was why the Comic Code Authority got created. Because comics were like, oh, holy shit. Oh, God, we're going to die. Oh, we need to, like, set our own stuff up. And uh, If we self-police, they're not going to do anything to us. And they used it also to get rid of the competition. Because the superhero comics and the romance comics and stuff got together and made very specific rules that basically made horror comics impossible and destroyed, destroyed EC Comics, which was almost entirely horror uh, and I believe might have been the best-selling comic producer out there at the time. They're like, hey, wait! Like, it's a dark time period for my interest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, EC's comics weren't the best, but they were, they were interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't say zombies. Yeah. So Marvel later came up with Zuvembies. Marvel, of course, also did the living vampire. Uh, Yeah. You couldn't mention vampires for a while. You couldn't mention um, werewolves. Oh, Batman's first... One one of Batman's first supervillains was a werewolf. The monk. He wore, like, a red version of the clan outfit. 
and was a werewolf. And Batman shot him to death and then was like, you know what? Maybe, Maybe I shouldn't have guns. <laughs> uh, early Golden Age, they didn't have the superheroes don't kill thing. Superman would just like grab a dude and be like, you stole that woman's purse. So I'm going to throw you over that skyscraper and not think about it again. And one of the others was like, oh, holy shit, guys. Like, we're marketing these to kids. We're going to get in so much trouble. Take away the gun. Superman doesn't kill. No killing. Uh, in the Batman's first appearance, a dude falls into a thing of acid and he's like, an appropriate death for Dr. Death. And, and then just leaves. Honestly, if you pay a lot of attention to Batman, like, he's still fucking up people's lives. Oh, even man. if he doesn't kill people. <laughs> his death count is terrible. And his, like, you need hardcore physical therapy and you were already poor count is, like, just criminal. Like, just, ooh boy. There's a reason he pays for the free hospitals around town, and it's raging guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Seduction of the Innocent, though, just wrecked the comic book industry. Uh, Superheroes became very unpopular. Uh, The only superhero comic books to survive that era, really, I think, and get continual publication was Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Trinity. They had... All three of them have had continual production since they came out in the late 30s, early 40s, with the exception of like half a year where Wonder Woman wasn't published. Because after Crisis, they were rebooting her and the new George Perez comic wasn't quite ready. So they're like, oh, uh, uh, fine. (laughs) So then, where are we at? So that's what, like 40s? Late 40s, early 50s. So what what do we got going 50s, 60s? Uh, Like... Like Marvel, we were talking about last year, with the last time with Atlas, uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on. And then around 1957, 55 to 57, uh, for a book called Showcase, editor Julie Schwartz was like, sure, let's try a superhero again. Do a Flash comic. We haven't done that in like 10 years. But Schwartz came from a science fiction background. He mostly did science fiction books. And he's like, let's update the Flash. Let's give him a slightly new costume instead of, like, the awesome World War One helmet and mm-hmm. jeans that he's running in. And they gave the modern Flash design, which is arguably the greatest superhero costume of all time. It is simple. It is iconic. It does everything it needs to do. That, that people who get way too involved in this, so me, mm-hmm. just rant and rave about that costume. There's costumes that shouldn't work but do, like Spider-Man and Cap. They're just okay. way too yeah. complicated to exist, and yet that. somehow they're really iconic. And then there is Barry Allen. That costume is sleek. It's simple. Every time they try to like enhance it, it just looks uncomfortable. It was just. Right. I'm just trying to. My brain is now just going on its own tangents. Like, what costumes do I really like? But that's not what we're on right now. Well, and it's aged well because it doesn't have the weird underwear on the outside. That's thing. true. Right, which was, of course, modeled off strongmen back in yep, the day. Yep, because made the a lot more was sense huge in, in the 40s. Yeah, made a lot more sense in the culture, but uh, not as much sense now. The, the birth of Barry Allen is considered the birth of the Silver Age of comic books. Uh, oh, so much fun. Uh, Barry Allen came out shortly afterwards. Hal Jordan came out, and now instead of being a train conductor that was scared of wood, he was a space cop that was scared of the color yellow. Or I guess not scared of, but he didn't do any damn good against it. Uh, the Adam became little shrinky guy, you know. Things got a lot more super. Yeah. Without it, going grimdark yet. Yeah, it became 
let's do sci-fi. And it was also the atomic era. People were all about, you know, science fiction in the future instead of, like, it's the war. And optimistic about it, it seems. Yeah, we felt good about the world in the 50s and 60s. We also thought we were going to die at any moment to nuclear Armageddon, so there was some back and forth there. But uh, speculative fiction was at some of its highest points in that. And I, I love speculative fiction, so it's a good point. The comics of that era are incredibly primitive by, like, modern standards. Marvel wasn't going to revolutionize comics for another six years until about 1962, 1963, when suddenly, like, superheroes had pathology. These guys were all really, like, happy in life, and everything went pretty well, and there wasn't money concerns, and they didn't really fight. They were a club. Uh, Justice League launched around that time, and it was called League and Step Society because the guy, I believe Gardner Fox, who created it, I'm pretty, I could be wrong in that one, but that's fine, was into baseball. And he oh. thought League sounded a little more like something that, like, younger sports fan readers would be more likely to oh, enjoy. Okay. I see that. Uh, and nice upgrade, Wonder Woman was allowed to be a member of the League because technically she was the Justice Society's secretary. That's right. <laughs> Forgot about that little fact. <laughs> because it was the 1940s. So she's a league member. You got the league coming together. It was big. And it, in a lot of ways, I almost feel like the league coming together is almost its own milestone for just sort of a modern understanding of what we think of as the foundation now, even beyond the Trinity. Both justice groups were insanely important. Justice Society was, I believe, the first team book ever really done. Mm. I mean, we're talking very early days. And the Justice League, when it came together, it was like the Avengers movie when it came out. Like, they really came together and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is bigger. All of them? <laughs> this is bigger than the individual parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a majesty to the League that... One of the things I like about Young Justice so much, the cartoon, is when you first see the League, when they first enter, you feel that history more than you do with the Avengers, more than you do, I think, with any other team. This is the League. Mm-hmm. And the character that does not get enough credit in the League will always be the Martian Manhunter. Thank you. Yes. 100%. Until 2005, the Martian Manhunter was the only character that was in every incarnation of the League. And amazing. Yeah. And really overpowered. And he, but amazing. he's a weird, goofy, green strongman. So I get, like, the, the costume needed some updates. They've done good work with it in the last, like, ten years. But I get why that costume was having trouble. Although even just changing it from shorts to pants makes it much more, like, easy to accept in the modern day. Mm-hmm. And I like, there was a description that Patton Oswalt wrote into a comic book of the Martian Manhunters. Of it, he's like if Socrates played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So my my history with the Martian Manhunter in particular is really weird. I got turned on to how awesome Martian Manhunter is by a cracked article back in the day where somebody <laughs> somebody pointed out that he would be the perfect like if somebody if somebody were to ask like what superhero would you sleep with? Oh yeah, he'd be Martian perfect. Manhunter. He's got shape shifting abilities. He's got telepathy. Exactly. Get right there. Oh, man. Have you ever read 
there was an article written, I believe, in the '60s called uh, "Man, Man of Steel, Steel Woman of, of Kleenex. Kleenex." I have read it, it's and it amazing. is it, it comes up in Mall Rats is probably its most famous famous place. But it was basically a, uh, I think, physicist, possibly biologist, saying what would happen if Superman had sex with Lois Lane, and it's not good. She would die. Yes. She would 100% die. And, like, those jokes have happened a lot of times uh, in this stuff. But it's entirely because of Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. And they even have illustrations in it. Not like... Right. Not like nudie mag illustrations. But it's, like, Superman and Lois Lane in bed. But they don't have the rights to use, like, the images. So Superman's wearing, like, all black. But it's still very obvious that someone just, like, scribbled over Superman. Way before his actual all black suit. Yeah. We're talking... 30 years before that probably mm-hmm. yeah i have definitely read man of steel woman of kleenex uh, it's it's ridiculously hilarious because it's not meant it's not written in a funny style no it's, it's written, written completely, completely seriously what would ahead. happen it's great um oh the other reason the league might feel so big and iconic on its own is because the justice league is the reason we have the marvel universe the story is that the owner of DC Comics was playing golf with the owner of Marvel, who I talked about a lot last week and now cannot remember his name, but that's not important for this. And he's like, dude, we're making hand the money hand over fist with this. And so he went back that the owner went mm-hmm. back to Stanley and was like, make us a Justice League. And he's like, no, I'll make Fantastic Four instead. <laughs> and changed comic books forever. So uh <laughs> so we have the beginning of the Silver Age. Where do we go to next with DC? This is when they started, like, this. Uh, we get to the 70s, they start bringing in Shazam. Uh, they start making more characters. I think Firestorm came out around that time. I think Vixen is not too much later in that era. Black we'll Canary becomes a big thing. Are we starting to get storylines worth talking about yet? The Flash of Two Worlds in the late Ooh. 50s, early 60s. Uh, the Flash of Two Worlds being uh, uh, the first time that Jay Garrick Flash meets Barry Big. Allen Flash, and they were like, oh, we can use all the stuff from the 30s still. It's just in an alternate Earth. And considering that around the time of this production, Crisis of Infinite Earths is coming out any day now, those words are huge. Yes. Uh, and there's a very iconic cover. It's one of the great comic book it. covers. And yeah, they do it in The Flash. And I know that... That actor, Teddy, what's his name, didn't end up being the real Jay Garrick. But I thought he did, the look was great. I thought Mm -hmm. he did a great job of playing nice guy. I would have 100% accepted him as nice guy, Jay. I I would have been super happy with it. Um, And it's a, there's like a wall in the very center. And on one side, there's Barry Allen Flash. On the other side, there's Jay Garrick Flash. And they're both running towards... A guy where a piece of like a quit uh, construction equipment or something like that's falling, and they're both like, "I'll save you." It is iconic, and I'm trying to think of other important storylines from the era. Storylines were not as big in it. It was right. big, flashy colors and larger than life. It's a lot like telling a lot of Greek legends where people are like, "How does that fit with the last story you're telling?" And they're like, "Shut like, up and sit, kid." Kind of like, does <laughs> it. But we're not we're not paying attention. To you know, but right Superman now. is picking up buildings to like throw at people. Aquaman is literally... Oh, I have to talk about my favorite two Aquaman things from this era. Yeah, One is 
Targo. I think it's Targo. Right. Oh, the, uh, the octopus. It was super popular to have super pets back in the day. There was Crypto the Super Dog. There was uh, Ace the Bat Hound. There was Mogo the Bat Ape. Um, I have never found anything with that. There was Comet the Super Horse, who was a, a, a centaur cursed to look like a normal Topo. horse. Topo. Oh, but centaur cursed to look like a normal horse who was super in love with Supergirl. So there was entire stories of Supergirl hanging out with a horse, having thoughts about how much she wants to marry her. It's super uncomfortable. Hello, Big Mouth fans. Aquaman had an octopus who could play a one-man band of, like, different parts or fire four bows and arrows at once. But he was, like, a master shot. He was, like, green arrow good with four bow and arrow. I'm like, why the hell is green arrow on the Justice League and and Topo is is not? Come on, guys. Get with it. Get with it. Don't it's, be a bigot to the cephalopods. It's it's because they all. It was the time period where they all were hating on Aquaman and Joe. Oh yeah, I mean it's easy to hate on Aquaman. It's harder now that he's Jason Momoa, but right. it's still <laughs> easier than other characters. Aqu- His biggest villain is a man with a harpoon gun. <laughs> um, Black Manta is not threatening until they give him lasers. So in the in the ages of comic books wise, mm-hmm. how do we look at DC going out of the Silver Age? Not nearly as well. They didn't respond to like the Bronze Age as well because it, they had a harder time introducing pathos to the characters. Um, in the late seventies, I think they actually had what was called the DC Implosion, where like half of DC's books just got abruptly canceled. This might have been the eighties. Uh, but in the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't fully remember why. Like, there was some production problem, some big money thing, and they had they lost most of their books in one go. Firestorm, which was a great, great book, got shit-canned because of it. And luckily, Gary Conway was able to transfer Firestorm into the Justice League. And it's the only reason he's appearing in... He's in Legends now, yeah? Mm-hmm. They had a lot of trouble in, I think, until the 80s. And I think it was really Vertigo that saved them. Ooh. Yeah. Before you jump into that, uh, very obvious segue I left you. I think Marvel Comics almost bought DC in the 80s. Uh, Jim Shooter actually looked into it. Jim Shooter being the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time. And there was a big argument that they should do it and then just ditch everyone but Batman and Superman. And just integrate yeah. those two in and I was like god no what's wrong with you but at the same time I understand the thinking especially for the time period oh but it would have been so it would have been cramped. terrible yeah but anyways I gave you the easy intro with vertigo there so I'm not I'm not so I'd love me some vertigo I'm not the biggest biggest vertigo fan there's still a lot of vertigo titles I haven't talked about but I love talking about vertigo because then you get to bring up imprints in general mm-hmm. and imprints are fun because a lot of people I think don't even realize they're a thing. They see one name, they just assume the one name. What's an imprint? It's like when a company owns another company and they use that for certain things, basically. Yeah. It's basically like what what if there was a line? What if like all the books had a certain theme? Exactly. Uh the the example I always like to bring up is uh did you own Nightmare Before Christmas on VHS? Yeah. It wasn't a Disney logo in the front, was it? No, what was that? It was was... Touchstone. But Touchstone is owned by Disney. Touchstone is owned by Disney, and it's what Disney would use to put out their more mature uh, 
selections. Did they do James and the Giant Peach as well? Like, I know it was the same director, but I don't remember Ooh, if it was touched. I don't remember Disney. for sure. Anyways. Um, <laughs> and when Nightmare Before Christmas was first going to come out, Disney was really worried about how different uh, parents groups were going to react to it, especially different religious parents groups. So they groups. released it under Touchstone. And so they released it under Touchstone, so it wouldn't be bearing the, the Disney title, so they wouldn't have as much ammunition to use against them. Uh, Vertigo launched when somewhere in the 80s when, Di- or not Disney, when DC was really worried about some of the horror comics they were making because they were starting to abandon the comic code. And I, I believe, oh, what was the first year for Vertigo? Vertigo t- technically happens later than I was actually expecting when I looked it up. It's, I think, late 80s. Vertigo, the the big Vertigo launch titles actually predate Vertigo. Right. Alan Moore started Swamp Thing before Vertigo launched, um, and... I think Sandman. Sandman, well. yeah, Sandman was over halfway by the time it got moved to Vertigo. Uh, but what's considered the big launch titles for Vertigo was like, see, Vertigo actually didn't technically start till '93. Really? Wow, I thought it was like '87. But everything, um, but uh, they had other. There's certain titles that when they were reprinted were then reprinted under Vertigo. Okay, that's where it's confusing. Like Transmetro. Yeah, because that was originally Helix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Transmetropolitan. One of my top three comics of all time, but not really involved with DC past being published by Vertigo. But the original launch titles for Vertigo would have been, or what's kind of considered the start, is Sandman, Swamp Thing, Animal Man, Uh, Hellblazer, Hellblazer, and Doom Patrol. Which is a great line of weird and dark and kind of fucked up comic books. And I think, what, earlier on... That time period, these things would have been moved to Vertigo. Some of them might have been published under DC originally, but you also would have had, like, Black Orchid. Yep. Uh, uh, Kid Eternity. Oh, God, I forgot about Kid Eternity. Uh, That's a Shade the Changing book. Man. That's the one I was forgetting. Shade was real big, because Shade was a Steve Ditko creation for earlier DC, um, who did not go much anywhere, and then I think got murdered in Suicide Squad. One of, I think, I'm not sure he died, but I think he was one of the first ones. I think the first book published that was pure Vertigo was actually uh, Death, the High Cost of Living. Oh, yeah, that would fit uh, a spinoff of Sandman. Which I believe they're still threatening to do a movie of. I mean, I'm down for a movie. It's not much of a threat. Give it a shot. It's a, it's a great little self-contained story. I think Death could do better for movies than uh, Sandman, Sandman could because it you could do a much simpler... You don't need the long background history. This is this is death. Mm-hmm. Okay, you now understand. Yeah, uh, Sandman's a giant Greek tragedy, literally. Death is just... You can just do one-offs. Death. Here's this weird little goth girl who is... Amazing. The avatar of death. Yeah, she's great. But Vertigo is basically all the mature shit. And I think Vertigo kind of saved... DC because they were able to do a, they were able to prove they could tell stories on the level or higher of what Marvel was doing. And you have Karen Berger, who was in charge of Vertigo. We do bringing, not deserve Karen Berger, and DC definitely didn't, which is why she left. Bringing in Neil Gaiman, Grant Morrison. Uh, Karen Berger was an editor, by the way. I just Peter Milligan. Didn't actually explain that. Yeah. Right. She went, there's a bunch of really weird British creators, mostly writing for 4000 AD right now, which is published like uh, Judge Dredd, 
the the DC comic or not the DC the British comic scene in the in the 80s was wild. Lynn and, brought in Alan, but she basically brought in the rest of the Brits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they got the rights to V for Vendetta, and then they did. Uh, they Len got Len Ween got Alan to do uh, Watchmen, which was originally the Charlton characters because DC had just bought Captain Adam, Nightshade, Blue Beetle, all of them, and then was like, maybe we shouldn't kill them all off in this really dark story you're telling, Al. They they set a new bar at the same time. Dark Knight Returns came out by Frank Miller. I do not think it has aged well, but it is it is seminal. It is one of the mm-hmm. most important comic books in history, no matter what I think of it. And also Jamie Delano, who was the original writer on Hellblazer. Yeah, and John Ostrander, although I don't know if he was actually part of the Vertigo crowd. He mm. created Suicide Squad, and then he did uh, The Spectre, which did not get the same recognition as all of those, but is in the same quality. Right. It's a heavily Christian book because the specter is the spirit of God's vengeance. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's going to come up also created by Jerry Siegel. I think Oh, interesting. Uh, he was a founding JSA member. He was really uneven in some, he was the spirit of God's vengeance and had like unlimited powers. And other times he was just a guy that who was a, pale and wore a green suit. Like and the way else. I've seen the specter portrayed sometimes. It's <laughs> real hard to, they, they have to come up with increasingly weird reasons of why the specter can't just fix whatever problems going on. And the usual answer is the specter's a dick. That, that tracks. That <laughs> tracks. Uh, all that writing talent though, coming in being given rain in an environment to write actual mature stories. Mm hmm brought a new life into the industry in a big way oh yeah uh the other big thing that we're not and writers became rock stars in comics for a little while which was unheard it's it it was unheard of and later in the 90s it was unheard of again it was only recently that writers became the big games again Mm -hmm. uh the one big thing that we are very carefully not talking about in this one is in 1985 dc launched crisis on infinite earths which is was the first mega event crossover series of what has arguably hurt comic books a lot, but it's very important. It's very good. And we will deal with that on a later episode when we're actually talking. That's one that's not even a hypothetical. That one's planned. Like you'll get it soon enough. (laughs) They're doing crisis on infinite or on the cart or on the TV shows. We're going to do, we're going to talk. There's no way we can't not talk about it. Oh, Oh, the big book that we have not mentioned. We mentioned it in the news, but we didn't mention it here. Oh, uh, I was even the one that brought up the news, but I'm... I'm Teen Titans. Oh, okay. I will always forget to bring up Teen Titans. I know how important it is, but I have never been a giant Teen Titans fan, so... Depends on the book for me. Like, when Teen Titans is on, it is on point. And when it's bad, it is unreadable garbage. The, the Teen Titans that we best know, it wasn't the original Teen Titans. It was... Oh, I cannot think of the creator's name. Uh, I do not know my DC history nearly as well as I know my Marvel, apparently. Um, but they they brought together all of the sidekicks and made a Junior Justice League. And it was Robin, Kid Flash, Speedy, who was Green Arrow's sidekick, Aqualad, uh, and Wonder Girl, which is actually the origin of Wonder Girl. She... F- uh, because there was a popular spinoff of Superman called Superboy that was just Superman when he was young, and they started doing Wonder Girl comics as well, which was also Wonder Woman when she was young. But the guy who set up Teen Titans did not know that. 
he just knew there was a Wonder Girl, and so he's like, oh, she's got a teen sidekick, and tossed her in there, which shows how well he researched the comics that he was, you know, writing. Mm-hmm. And there was something like, wait, no, that's that's young Diana, like pre-World War II, and he's like, oh, well, now it's Donna. <laughs> Donna Troy. <laughs> and they have been struggling to come up with a logical... Who the hell is Donna Troy? I mean, literally, there was a famous Titan storyline called Who is Donna Troy (laughs) ever since. It lasted a while. It was not very good. It was not very popular. They brought in a few characters that were kind of fun from it. My favorite being Nark, spelled G-N-A-A-R-K, who was a caveman. Yes. Who unfroze from a... a, Sincino Man. Yeah. (laughs) Encino Man... In the superhero universe, sacrifices his life to save Lilith, I believe. A couple characters come from that time. Mr. Twister was in Young Justice briefly. Uh, Mal Duncan, who becomes Guardian in Young Justice, and Bumblebee are from that era. The Batgirl from that era first appears. Duella Dent, the Joker's daughter, first appears there. Uh, She was eventually revealed to be the daughter of Two-Face, Instead of the Joker's daughter, but she was basically the just a kind of a precursor to Harley Quinn in a lot of ways. Um, and then once Harley Quinn came out, they didn't know what to do with her. Yeah, um, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, I was going to say, they later made her super grimdark when there's a weird storyline in Batman where Joker cut off his own face and disappears. And she steals his face and starts wearing it. And that's who Joker's daughter is. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I would totally wear my dad's face if he cut it off. There's nothing uncomfortable at all about that. But the Titans, we know, didn't really come around until a few years later when uh, Marv Wolfman and George Perez were like, you know what would be fun? A proper teen superhero book. Like, they were really big in the Golden Age, but no one's done one worth a damn since Young Allies in, like, the 40s. I don't even know if Young Allies was worth a damn. Mm -hmm. It was just the first one that came to mind. And they put a lot of thought into it as opposed to the earlier Titans and introduced Cyborg, Raven, and now known as Beast Boy, but known as Changeling for years. Oh, okay. He actually first appeared in Doom Patrol as Beast Boy and was purple. And then Doom Patrol was canceled. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make sense, but roll with it. And when he came back, he was now calling himself Changeling and was green. Okay. Uh, I, I like him green. And actually, like had character and personality then and new teen titans as it was called was the biggest book on the market it was the only book that had a chance of running against uh chris claremont's uncanny x-men run Mm. and they actually did i think the first marvel dc crossover was teen titans uncanny x-men oh that's fun and i don't the creative team was like chris claremont and marv wolfman and uh the guy who created better a bill um Walt Simonson. It is just a gangbusters of creative talent for a probably not very good book. I've never been able to find it. It is really like uh, the other possible first. I'm not sure which one of these came first, which was Spider-Man and Superman. Uh, It was real hard to... It's real hard to print in the modern day. Crossover stuff. They they fight like cats and dogs over the uh, rights. And it was easier when it was just Marvel and DC fighting like cats and dogs. Now it's Disney and Warner Brothers that have to come to an agreement. So that's going to happen. Yeah, no. Not anytime soon. So with our Marvel episode, this was about the time that we 
we bounced off because yeah. it started getting a lot more about the storylines that are going on and how that sort of ties into the outer world in a lot of ways. But, and I'd kind of like to do book reviews sometimes, so like that would be more of a that kind of story. So as far as DC goes, who would you give as the unsung hero? Uh, Bill Finger, obviously, as we already talked about. Gardner Fox, who I believe created, or I know he created Flash. I'm pretty sure he was running Justice League. He worked for fucking ever. He was old school in the groups, too. Um, and Julie Schwartz, who was the guy that re- was the editor that really went in and did it. The, the, the one that was like, we should do this. And suddenly DC, as we know it, is born. Nice. And then the last name I just want to toss out, he was a very famous superhero or Superman writer, Elliot S. Magan, who was a Superman writer and he was so famous or he wrote so many lines that ended with exclamation points because it was a 70 or 60 superhero comic that he put uh, when signing his name to something once he put an exclamation point after it without thinking about it. And his editor looked at it and was like, you're signing every book you ever write as this from now on. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your own history with DC? We um, talked a lot about the history of DC. Where do you pop in? DC is why I'm into comic books, honestly, because of Batman Forever. Oh, shit. Uh, okay. I was six or seven years old, maybe a little. I you was, got kissed by a rose on a plane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was young enough that I still had a babysitter. Okay. Um, and she, she like made sure I got to school and looked after me in some nights in return for free room and board. And then she worked at like a, uh, rental store for side money while she went to school. And, um, she rented Batman forever one night and almost every night she came home with a new movie. Cause what the hell you work at a rental store? Why not? Mm-hmm. She came home with Batman forever. And I was like, uh, superheroes, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> And I watched that, that train wreck of a movie, which, as you pointed out, has, like, the perfect Batman opening. The first ten minutes of that movie are great. As far as Batman. It's just the other, like, hour and a half that's the problem. And I was sitting there and I was like, holy shit, this was cool. And then I quickly got into Marvel from there and I didn't really get into DC until probably high school. Like, I, I read a bit here and there, but I didn't have any book I really followed. I thought Superman was dumb. Uh, which I ranted against earlier today, so obviously I changed my opinion. Uh, actually, I, I do like that. I had a a buddy's dad who was a big Superman fan, and we would argue over it. And I finally read Superman Birthright from Mark Wade and Francis Linnell Yu. And I was like, holy shit, this is good. And I was like, god damn it. <laughs> Mark was right. right. <laughs> uh, but I somewhere in high school, I stopped reading western comic books uh it's after they briefly killed mary jane watson and i quit reading in protest basically and only read manga but i had time to kill before seeing underworld of all things okay the what is that that's i can't remember who that actress is but um doesn't matter kate beckinsale kate beckinsale i want to say blanchett and i knew that wasn't right kate beckinsale tight leather costume vampire movie was a lot of fun when i was that age and i had time to kill and i picked up with we mentioned the show earlier. Which Good Omens. You realize who Aziraphale is, right? No, who is Aziraphale in that? He's the main Lycan. Oh my god, he's Brown Hulk? No, he's... Who am I thinking of? Her romantic interest, I just yeah. dubbed the Brown Hulk. That's... That's him? 
He's he's the the one with yeah. Wow, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> um but anyways, I had like 45 minutes to kill, so I sat down and I picked up a copy. It was like the middle of Batman Hush, like the middle of the storyline, mm. and I just hadn't picked it up in years, but it had a dead Robin on the cover and I was like, <laughs> "Robin's dead. That's great." And it was so good, and I read it four times in a row, bought it, and then spent most of Underworld trying to read it again in the dark movie theater, like being distracted between them. Like, it's too dark. Ooh, she's wearing tight leather. Back to the comic book. I was 16. I had two very specific yeah. interests. Still have two very specific interests. But, um, and that was kind of my thing. And then from there, I picked up, like, the Young Justice comic book. Okay. Uh, from Peter David and Todd Nauck, which is one of my favorite books of all time still. Uh, and at that point, I just started diving into everything I possibly could. Uh, what about you? What was your... Ooh. my? So you've heard part of my history with DC before mm-hmm. when you came on Fried Squirms. Yeah. You Be- watched Swamp Thing as a little kid. I watched Swamp Thing as a little kid on USA. Um, I was really hoping you were going to tell me it's Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. No, and then... Uh, one of my, like my, one of my VHS, H, VHS tapes as a kid that I got to, you know, throw on whenever when I was little was the old Superman cartoons. Ooh, wait, like the Flesher cartoons or like, the, like, like him catching series? a fucking train cartoons. Yep. Those were, the guy's name was something Flesher. They're, they're really primitive by today's cartoon standards, but they were these beautifully hand painted. I've seen some of the mm-hmm. like stills and they are just put them up in a museum they would not be out of place at all so i watched those all the time as a kid um when i was suffering from insomnia i would wake up and 66 batman was on <laughs> like my happy meal toys were like the oh the, the 1989 tim mm-hmm. burton batman did and the you, 92 and that like that's my batmobile did you have the toy with the like utility belt that like pulled out into a string and it would like pull him up I did not. What I remember mostly is having the the Anton Firth bas- Batmobile. Ah, yeah. The um, Anton Firth Batmobile is my Batmobile. God, I can't believe Bat- I did Batmobiles. not talk about... I wrote down all this information about DC and other media in the early days, uh, and then we just didn't talk about it. But this is one of those things where it's like, I didn't really realize all that was from comics. Mm-hmm. But then... I read comics nowadays because in my early 20s, I ran into Sandman. Yeah. I know a lot of people that got into DC Comics because of the Sandman. And, you know, Martian Manhunter and uh, Mr. Miracle appear in the first storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Fate... No, Hawkman's kids. Scarecrow. On. For, for three... Scarecrow comes in. Uh, uh, Metamorphos sidekick element girl comes in for a little bit he goes into arkham in one of his very first ones because he has to take down dr destiny Uh, Uh, that's when he runs into scarecrow who was supposed to be joker but uh dc didn't use neil uh use joker because joker at the time was air quotes dead huh yeah okay and so he had to change it to scarecrow joker almost never passed his first appearance Uh, yeah he died he was in an ambulance and the editor read this and he's like you can't kill this guy. He's too good. So they added a word bubble at the very end as the ambulance was driving off, being like, hold on, he's still alive. <laughs> and now he's the first R-rated movie to make over a billion dollars in the box office. Which is still weird, because I saw that movie, and it's good, but it's 
not a billion dollars good. No, it's not a billion dollars. But it's Joker, and damn, does that villain have a fan base. Dude, when I went when I went in to see Doctor Sleep, there was somebody going to the Joker in full full <laughs> Jared Leto, Margot Robbie. Oh wow. Dedicated cosplay. cosplay Joker. That's the only way you can really be more dedicated is if you do the like 1960s. The Cesar Romero. Yeah, so you're just like putting on a mustache and painting over it. Yeah. Like, uh... So, I mean, DC in a way is also just why I read comics now. Yeah. Uh, lately, I've been a little bit more Marvel, but honestly, like, when I it comes through down phases. to phases. Every time I'm like, no, I think I prefer these. Like, six months later, I'm like, oh, holy crap, I haven't well, bought one of those in a while. So I think this kind of dovetails into this question a little bit. At least it does for me. How would you define DC, especially as DC versus Marvel? Just to flip around from the, the same sort of question I posed on the Marvel. DC's got two things they do really well. The powerless and the ultra-powered. Batman and Superman. Like, mm -hmm. when it comes to a guy with no powers but weird gadgets who punch bad guys in the head so he feels better, DC's kind of better at it than anyone. Marvel's good at that middle range. But, like, you've got... I mean, the whole Bat family, Batman, Nightwing... Nightwing alone justifies the existence of the DC universe. Um, and then the bigger scale. And Grant Morrison kind of did that one best of... These are fairy tales. These are larger than life. It doesn't have to make perfect sense. It can be weird and crazy and still be good and still have like some pathology to it. Mm -hmm. um, the Grant Morrison, Howard Porter Justice League series, I would put, even with all the weird crossovers they have to do with the solo books, as one of the greatest comic book runs of all time. I think it's probably my favorite Morrison work. Part of it is because he gets reined in a little more than he usually does. Um, and he very much approached that as these are larger, these are myth. And I've, I've heard a lot of people and I've loudly argued that superheroes are modern day Hercules or Odin or whatever, mm -hmm. modern day myth. And I think the league, and this traces back to your question of what is, what's so special about the league. The league does that better than anyone else. These are the gods amongst men. These are the, you know, seven gods on Mount Olympus, but instead they're on the moon Right. Saving the world from anything. I mean, I was going to say, for me, if I, I compared Marvel to being, like, really welcoming and, like, this mm -hmm. warm family atmosphere, DC's welcoming, but it's more like religion. Yeah. But, like, a religion that I don't mind being a part <laughs> of. <laughs> Have you heard the good word of Superman? The... Where it's like, there is, there's, there's companionship to be found there. There is a welcomingness there. But once you're there, you're kind of about something, mm -hmm. and there's something bigger that you're looking up to at the well, end. Well, and they've got the, the Holy time. Trinity. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Superman actually does get a lot of uh, Jesus allegory mm -hmm. written to him, which I don't care for because I enjoy him too much as the, like, think piece of two sons of immigrants, Jewish kids from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, I think Superman is much more interesting when he's a much more rebellious character and i've got a friend who's going to kill me for saying this because he's a pastor but modern day depictions of jesus are not rebellious if you want to go old school jesus kicking over the tables the money lenders sure but both of them have been kind of like neutered to status quo when they're not telling the story mm -hmm. right and i am much more interested in i am an immigrant who is here to make the world a better place i did sort of a 
a variation on on the question that I sort of posed during the Marvel one. Maybe not necessarily faves or underutilized, but what are three DC characters that really that the ones either that you like with me? the ones that super resonate in some way, even if they're only resonating right now, and maybe they're not the ones that always resonate with you. Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle. I was I was knew you were going to say that, which yeah. is really interesting I'm when a, it comes to my list. I am a Ted Cord fanboy. I am he is half Batman, half Spider Man. Uh, I recently reread his appearance uh, in just before Infinite Crisis, where he actually dies. Spoiler alert for a comic that happened 15 years ago. And it's, I don't like large parts of what happened because of that, but that story is one of the ultimate hero stories from a guy who's not really respected, not really treated as a hero, and not the best at being a superhero. Ted is not the greatest superhero of all time, but damn, he has heart in a way that just, mm. the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern, because he was, okay. let's have a artist and a guy that's unsure of himself be given the most powerful weapon in the universe that can make whatever you think of. Hal Jordan was the man without fear. Giving him that weapon was easy. Kyle had to work for it. But on the other side, anything you can think of, that dude could think of some stuff. And then for my last one, although quick honorable mention to both the Connor Kent Superboy or Connell Superboy mm-hmm. and uh, Bart Allen, a.k.a. Impulse, I have to give it to Jack Knight Starman. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not a great known one. Starman was... Uh, he, it wasn't a Vertigo book, but for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Because it, it read more like a super, or, uh, a Vertigo book. It was a character from way back when, recreated in a very interesting, introspective, slow-paced way. He didn't wear a costume. He wore a leather jacket and tanker goggles. And he only wore those because it was cold when he was flying. Um, he was the son of a brilliant scientist that never really got that far in science because he was busy being the superhero Starman, uh, and he was a junk collector. He he ran a little, like, side shop of stuff. Not quite an antiques shop. And he was a fully fleshed-out character before he became a hero, which is so unusual. Usually, superhero stories are the person really came into their own when they became a hero. He entered as a fully-fledged character who became a hero to really connect with his father. And it's uh, Starman by James Robinson. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Nice. All right. Hit me. For mine. I'll see your Ted Cord Blue Beetle. You're going to raise me a Booster Gold, aren't you? I'm gonna, No, I'm going to raise you a Jaime Reyes. Oh, Blue my Beetle. boy. <laughs> I mean, I love Booster Gold. Booster almost made it. But yes, Jaime is so good. Jaime... What I love is he gets to rock around in the suit that I dreamed of having since the first time I saw the Giver. Yeah. I, I actually did a picture. I'll put it I've up on the it. website. Yeah. It's Bio Booster Armor Giver and Jaime Ray's Blue Beetle hanging out together because they had the same freaking powers. And like I've I loved the Giver since I was a kid. Not like I'm not a huge fan, but I oh, saw the it's I not saw, very good, but it's a yeah. lot of fun. But I, it, there was something with it that stuck with me. You ever see the anime, or did you just watch the live action? I saw action? the live action. I'll show you the anime sometime. We can actually enjoy it. <clears throat> Anyways. But there was something about the way that everything seemed to work that seemed so natural to me. And when I see the way Blue Beetle operates, I'm like, not only is he using a suit that just, in my mind, just clicks. Like, it's super great. Like, the way it works, everything, the way it's all 
it all makes sense to me. It's like, got it, just it, a little bit of that luchador look, but not in a way that's like overwhelming or dates it. And that's the thing. And then he has to be a little brown boy inside it. They did an issue that was 100% in Spanish. Every word spoken in Spanish. And I don't know Spanish. <laughs> nope. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the issue because I can't read it. Like, I have to, like, mm-hmm. they've got the script in English in the back, and I have to flip back and forth. I am a product of the American healthcare, not healthcare, the American educational system. I speak one language, and that's not very good. But, but uh, I'm like, if I would have had him along with the guy for suit when I was, like, nine, I probably would have grown up, like, writing comic books. <laughs> he is... He's he's such a great character, and he's unapologetically... Uh, and he's fun, and I love him arguing with the suit, and I love the suit's murderous impulses. But what I was going to say is he's unapologetically not white. He's He is a character that brings representation that's so rarely done, because before that, for uh, Mexican-American characters, Latino characters, you had vibe. And vibe was really bad. Yeah, he's he's gotten better in the like thanks to the TV show and stuff. But he was hey breakdancing is popular. Let's make a breakdancer a member of the Justice League. The only thing vibe had going for him was that he was able to trip Flash. Anyways, next character, uh, Calderon. Calderon. Oh, Aqualad. Yep, the Young Justice Aqualad. Calder Aqualad. He's so cool. And he's I want to see like, everything. I want that character to be every. I want them to bring in Calder Aqualad into the live action movies. That'd be great. I think they brought him into the Teen Titans comic books, but I haven't read that run. It's the like Damian Wayne is in charge, and I can only take so much. Is Damian it Calder, is or is, or is it like an inspired by? Calder? They made a character that was inspired by Calder, and then I think they later just. We're like let's in bring the in new Calder. fifty-two. I think they just later made it Calder. Okay, um, but I'm not a hundred percent certain on that one. I, as I said, I haven't read that Titans run. One of the, I mean, the Young Justice cartoon has been one of my favorite parts of DC for the past however long it's been since I started watching it's it. It's so good. It is the best adaptation of DC I've ever seen. It does it in a way that is... It's accessible. It's accessible. It is a love letter to all of the weird, long, complicated DC things, but it does it in a way that it's not beholden to them. Exactly. There's such a comic book fan thing of like, we need to make The Killing Joke or Dark Knight Returns or what we need to make exact recreations and they never work out that well but if you give them room to take the idea and then do their own thing with it it's what marvel has done so well it's what young justice does so well and calder's been the standout for me from that i would agree with that he's like i said i god like it's my fucking dream for them to be like so we've decided to give jason momoa a little buddy (laughs) (laughs) he can call him little buddy and Uh, he can call him minnow like he did in the 70s that's fine i Come on, Minnow, let's go ride these horse uh, seahorses. But yeah, give give me more Calder. <laughs> He's the standout from that. I've been loving it so much. That character just lights my brain on fire. I'm like, this is so cool. Alright. Uh number three. Yeah. Bane. Bane? I think there's a lot that you could be done with Bane. And I, I'm mostly Bane isn't one I think I would normally say, but just the other day somebody was bringing up Batman. Mm-hmm. I love Batman to death. Part of the reason I love Batman isn't necessarily because of Batman. It's because of his rogues gallery. He does have one of the best rogues galleries in all of comics. Batman, and the thing I noticed about Batman when I was thinking really hard about him is that he's a character 
that when you just describe him sounds really black and white. Mm-hmm. And you need his rogues gallery to bring out the shades of gray. Yeah. More specifically in characters like Two-Face and stuff, but the best Love me the Two-Face. best Batman villains are all somehow reflections of either himself or of his fears. Bane is basically just a what if Batman is, had no morals like not even no morals. What if a person who had his determination and um not person, what am I? Um, His zeal, basically. Was just born in completely different circumstances. Yeah. Just one million percent different circumstances. Raised in a prison and wears a luchador mask. Like, oh, 100%. Um, and, and, but still had that formative experience with a bat, but interpreted it in a completely different way. Yeah. Bane's biggest flaw is they've never been able to top his first story. Exactly. It's the same problem with Doomsday and Superman. When you start with breaking Batman's spine or killing Superman, where do you go from there? But they've also done some really good Bane stories. Gail Simone did a great one in Secret Six, which is such a weird fucked up book, where it's pretty much Bane being like, where do I go from there? Like, I'm not really that interested in being a supervillain. I beat Batman, then he beat me. Like, what am I going to do? Beat him again? But, uh... I, I personally think it's time for uh, for Bane to do a bit of a face turn in a big way. Try to be a hero? or Yeah. Uh, they did a bit of that in Secret Six, where a lot of that was like low-level villains that weren't quite sure if they were good guys or bad guys. And that's uh, personally what I would love to see, but just the idea that that could even ever happen keeps him really like resonating in my head right now. He was one of the big villains in the Tom King Batman run that's just running up. He mm-hmm. was like the villain... Uh, and I think he just got shot in the head, so he's dead, but it's comic book, so we'll see him next week. His name is not Uncle Ben, so. <laughs> God, there was a very famous idiom for years of the only people that stay dead are Bucky, Jason Todd, and Uncle Ben, and one out of three is still true. Yeah. <laughs> Bane does it for me, though. Mm-hmm. Especially, like I said, currently, as I'm, as I was thinking about the Rogues Gallery, I'm like, man, I fucking love me some Bane, but... As you pointed out, truly he's never been as good as his first story. That's fair. All right. Now that we've been talking for like probably four hours. uh, Only two. Oh, good. God, I was like, we're going to make these shorter. And they have not been once. Uh, Last part of our night. uh, What's some recommendations you got for people to read, watch, play? Oh, um, my my recommendation would be uh, Amazon just started doing their own uh blade of the immortal anime adaptation you were telling me about that really good really good so far i'm only like two episodes in i just got done watching the takashi Miike movie which i would also recommend uh but it's probably well the takashi Miike uh, movie adaptation is currently streaming on hulu amazon has uh an anime adaptation that they just I think they dropped it all at once, mm-hmm. but it it's only like a month old at this point. It's brand new, and they are both incredible so far. Uh, I will and give... in a lot of ways, I kind of wish that every Wolverine story was Blade of the Immortal. <laughs> that is the way to do a character that has healing factor. I will give a slight content warning on it. Blade of the Immortal is a extremely bloody samurai yes. anime. I... Like... 
Go, it's it's good and it's super worth watching, but don't go into it thinking like Spider Man. Oh yeah, no, but. no, no, super bloody. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give. Oh God, I've got two. I think first is a book that I thought was gonna be way bigger than it was, but it came out at the wrong time. Called DC Universe Legacies by Len Wein, and just a whole host of comic book creators who were famous. It follows the history of the DC Universe from the first appearance of the Crimson Avenger, who's like the first superhero, up through Infinite Crisis. Written by Len Wein and in as many places as possible, using artists who were big in that era. So like when they're talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths, George Perez does those pages. Wow. Um, I think it's one of the last things Joe Kubert, the original, ever did. Uh, It's a real good book, and unfortunately, like... Uh, three months after it finished up, they relaunched the DC Universe with the new 52 and erased everything from it. Right. And I was like, you, oh, Len's got to be so pissed. And then for my second recommendation, welcome to Night Vale. The podcast, the novels, it is a, if you somehow don't know what Welcome to Night Vale is, but you listen to podcasts, it is a radio show in a town where every conspiracy theory is true. It's slow, it's weird, it's funny, it's dark, and it is somehow the most touching thing I've ever heard. Awesome. I still never actually checked. I, no, I take that back. I checked out an episode. My I man. liked it, but <laughs> I liked it. I just, I, it wasn't one that I just sat down with for a That's long fair. Time. Uh, it's one that you kind of got to get into. We're looking at going to their next live show. Oh, They're brilliant. coming by Spokane. Oh. Uh, and we might drive out to that. We drove all the way to Boise to go see a live show, nice. which I don't recommend Boise, but I do recommend the Welcome to Nightvale live shows. <laughs> God, so we we pounded out another one, and for once we actually have a plan for sure of what's our next episode. What are be. we doing next week? We're going to be talking about some Star Wars next oh, week. Oh my man, Star Wars is probably the talk true about, intro to my nerdiness. We're going to talk about some Star Wars in general, but because it's been coming out, we are not going to shy away from talking about the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. Plus, we can't do all Star Wars in one episode. Just there's there's no, at there's least too three much episodes to, to be made there. There's too much to it. But we'll get in a little bit of uh, our history with Star Wars, a little bit of what we love about it, about what we currently love about it, because that includes The Mandalorian in a big, bad way, and whatever the fuck else we decide we want to talk about when it, go- <laughs> when it comes to Star Wars. We promised we would do some non-comic book work. I'll only talk about Star Wars comics a little. Yeah, I will a little bit too, Because, <laughs> but... damn, those Vader comics are good. Oh, yeah. But that's for next time. In the meantime... I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Oh, um, our website's up now. Oh! I should probably oh say that. Oh my god! I should probably say that. Uh, please go to uh, generalnerdcast.com. It will automatically redirect you to earverm.com. <laughs> Which is not confusing at all, but... That's fine. Generalnerdcast.com. You can find all of our stuff. You can find stuff from across the entire podcast network that is being started, bitches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at General Nerdery. You can find us, hopefully by that point, on Instagram. We've been having uh, troubles with that, but that's going to happen. And so. you can find us on Twitter. By the time this comes out, all of those should finally be launched. In the meantime, we'll try this again. I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed.